All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 29 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger, Frank Saravalli. And once again, we come to you from the woodjerseys.com studio. See the lovely Boston Bruins wood jersey. And I'm seriously, I'm going to have to zoom in and take a picture of it because the intricacies of that are not shown there, but it is unreal. It's made of wood. It's spectacular. You can order it at woodjerseys.com and they're an officially licensed NHL product. And uh, they're going to have even more coming. So I know Vegas fans have been asking in Seattle, uh, they're all coming. So uh, as Chubbs Peterson said, real sturdy, made of wood. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Frank, how you doing? I'm good. Hey, you know what I was thinking to start the playoffs? I hope Tyler hammered the over 10 and a half on playoff <laughs> overtimes in yeah. the first round. Like they, starting off three for three is insane. Three, oh, three. like dude. you're on your way. Tyler, please tell me that you hammered it. Uh, yeah, beer's on me, Frank, when you come up to uh, Edmonton. Don't worry about it. Oh, what's that? It's good. 2000 and never by the time these COVID restrictions? <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been crazy, man. And what about the, like, I'm loving it. It's, it's amazing because we had to watch the Edmonton-Vancouver game and then an hour and a half later, Boston-Washington. And, and I really feel that Boston-Washington was, was good and tense, but man, Sunday's games and then ended with Florida-Tampa, like just beating the hell out of each other. It was It was like almost eight minutes of four-on-four hockey just because they... They just clearly there's a disdain there. And we've got Dave Boland coming up today as our guest, you know, and, and he was part of a pretty big rivalry between Chicago and Vancouver, Frank, but like that Florida Tampa rivalry looks legit. I, I've been telling everyone don't sleep on the battle of Florida. You know, I, I don't care that 
Florida and Tampa don't move the needle in hockey circles, get your head out of the North division and start looking at the rest of the league and what's happening in the U S because it's insane in their last tune up 136 penalty minutes. We had two or three fines and one suspension, Pat Maroon flipping the double bird. Uh, you know, I think you've got Kucherov and Stamkos back. That's huge. But also Florida has won the season series and yeah, has Florida's put good. this team uh, potentially on the ropes, the defending champs as they try to repeat in the COVID world. It, you know, this it's a fantastic series. So uh, I hope everyone tunes in and pays attention to just how good it is. Yeah, I know. And a lot of people were mad that Kucherov, you know, came back at this time. But I, I don't know anybody who watched game one, he looks like a guy who's coming off of an injury. Having I don't not care in eight months. Don't care. Heart trophy winner, you know, arguably one of the three best forwards in the NHL, four best forwards. If you, you know, depending on who you want to include again, I, I said this a few weeks ago on the pod, there's no way that Nikita Kucherov should be allowed to play. And it, it, it's solely to do with how the Tampa Bay Lightning manage their cap. This is not a hot take. The issue isn't that he sat out all season and then now is healthy. The issue is that he sat out the entire offseason and then decided to have surgery at the very end of it. That's the issue. When you have surgery in December after the season ends in September, that's problematic. And that's why the Tampa Bay Lightning didn't make any significant cap moves because they knew they had that card to play up their sleeve. And to me, it just reeks. Well, it, it's, it does open up a question to say, should there still be a salary cap in the playoffs? That's the question, right? Like you could say, hey, we can expand guys on the roster and, and you still count your 23-man roster. You can bring up extras because of injuries. Just like the way you did it this year with the taxi squad. Yeah, yeah. Why, doesn't, that's- why shouldn't that same thing exist? You can have a taxi squad of five players that you can shuffle in or out without the need, obviously, for waivers or anything like that. Yep. You know, if you go from taxi squad right to the roster, then your cap hit still needs to fit. And I, like, why shouldn't that be the case? Yeah, I think I'd have a- to go look at it and look exactly what Tampa Bay's cap number for the roster that they're icing tonight. Like, I think Tampa Bay was somewhere around $98 million in real oh, money yeah. spent on an $81.5 million cap. That's absurd. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I think I definitely think it's something like we saw it once with Patrick Kane in Chicago, but Kane legitimately got hurt that was late different. in the season, right? Yeah, and totally so, different. They didn't shape something. their roster around what they couldn't couldn't do. And there's been other teams that have been put in that situation, by the way, with a mid-season injury or a late-season injury and could have added someone at the trade deadline and then like a Tarasenko in St. Louis a couple years ago, where you could have brought that person back later. And they said, that's not how I want to operate. That's not how I want to do business. Now, speaking of operating and doing business, uh, the Washington Capitals, they win game one in overtime. No Craig Anderson. Off. No Sam Sonoff. They're, they're both out. Uh, they're in COVID protocol again, uh, Frank. That's the second time, although the first time was more of a, of a team fine. But not hearing a lot of good things in, in Washington around maybe just some, some on off ice, you know, selfish dis- decisions by those two young guys. Yeah. I don't know the exact nature of the decisions that were made. So I don't want to speculate on that, but what I do know is the Washington capitals are tired of it. And when Evgeny Kuznetsov's name surfaced in rumors, uh, you know, a couple of weeks back, even after the trade deadline, I think the Washington capitals were comfortable with that. 
I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Kuznetsov moved in the offseason. I think they're tired of that act. He's had a mercurial season on the ice anyway. There's no questioning the talent that he is and the energy that he brings to the lineup when he's in it. But um, my, my understanding also, and the Caps revealed a little bit more on Sunday when they said that one player tested positive and then the other player was simply just a close contact. And my understanding from talking to sources is that Kuznetsov actually tested positive. He's the one that tested positive for COVID and had to sit out. But the interesting thing about that, and I, I don't know that it's happened to anyone else in the NHL this season, I believe that's the second time that is Evgeny Kuznetsov actually tested positive. The first time wasn't a close contact. That was an actual positive test. So I don't know that we've seen anyone in the NHL get it twice, but I believe Kuznetsov is the first. Yeah, and there are people in the real world that have had COVID twice because there's different strains of it, so you, you can get it twice, unfortunately. So, but it's uh, you know that there that's a big blow. Like regardless of what he's doing off the ice, like he's an excellent player for them. And and now with it with the injury in goal, and you know you got Craig Anderson, you know he, even more important. Like hey, great for him that he won game one, but now we're going to see if he can win games two, three, four to take the. Well, did he say he said, "Well, I am well rested." I mean, he barely played this year. Like, it's amazing that he was able to come in in relief like that, thrown in midstream, and and is able to pull off a win in game one. Like, that's one of the great playoff stories that we've heard in years. Let's get to uh, Jack Eichel. Uh, the offseason, of course, for the uh, the 14 teams, I guess 15 if we count Seattle, because they're officially in now. They're signing players. So what, what are you hearing on Jack Eichel front? Is it a foregone conclusion he's getting dealt? I think so. I mean, look, this thing is, is pretty far off the rails and that's not, you know, Hey, look at our trade bait board or anything like that. I just think that there's so much dissatisfaction. There's some distrust that exists now. Um, and there's a lot of unhappiness with all the losing that's gone on. And I, I can't really blame him for that because it's been one thing after the other seemingly since he got there. Um, you know, third GM, how many head coaches has it been? It's been crazy what's happening there, but I will say that with regards to the injury though, that is a really interesting situation. Um, that, that neck injury is fascinating because he's asked and, and has seen a doctor that is recommending an experimental surgery, essentially to uh, take out a disc and, and replace it artificially in his neck. And so the Sabres have gone through the process and said, look, we don't have any record of any proof anywhere as a professional athlete going to get that surgery. If you were just a, you know, a teacher or something else, a sports writer, and you wanted to get that surgery and you didn't need to use your body in any sort of physical capacity, then, Hey, like, sure. By all means, get it. It's not risky, but no one knows how the neck responds to physical contact and hits, especially playing a contact sport. So they're saying, why go down that path? We don't think that you're at the point, you know, the doctors that have reviewed the case have said, Hey, you know, if you were paralyzed and you needed that, like by all means, again, get that type of surgery. But the fact that he's not quite clearly and is not in dire straits, well then the Sabres have pushed back against that. And I think to be fair, the NHLPA and their medical team, according to my knowledge, have gone through and actually looked at this case. And as much as everyone's interested in medical freedom and, and a player having the option to choose what he wants to do with his own body, and we've seen other experimental procedures pay off in big way for hockey players, 
the NHLPA is kind of like, oh, we're not sure about this either. So um, that needs to get rectified, and the Sabres need some clarity because in talking to people around the league, you've got Jack Eichel who is unhappy, and now some people are saying could be untradeable. And so if he's unhappy, unhealthy, and untradeable with that injury, depending on what the risk is, well, can you imagine a worse scenario for the Sabres to be in? Yeah, that's, you know, he's a really young player too. And anything with the neck is, is obviously serious. You know, hopefully it's, it's something that he doesn't need, or if he does get it, it can work for him. But yeah, that, that, that would make a situation, uh, you know, go, there's no, there's no situations even worse, Frank. There's no scenario where you can say, oh, well, geez, Jack Eichel now, like you put him on LTR, who cares? You're still losing a number one center and you've got nothing in return because Jack Eichel, if you trade him, you would have got some good pieces in return. And they still could trade him, right? Like this well, is something they that could. And there's someone that could step up and be comfortable with the risk having reviewed the medical file. But man, I, I don't think even with a healthy Jack Eichel that you can win that trade. I just think you lose it every time you go for, you know, quantity over quality and it never seems to work out. Yeah. Uh, ask him about the Ryan O'Reilly trade and how that one worked out. So that's yeah. on you... a different scale because like Ryan O'Reilly, as good of a player as he is the first player ever to be traded and then go on to win the Conn Smythe trophy the following season, Ryan O'Reilly wasn't the franchise player that Jack Eichel is. No, no, I agree. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's how scary is that? Yeah, it's, it's very scary. You know, you hear Ross, Reese the Linen say, hey, if you want to trade me, I'll get traded. You know, Reinhardt's an RFA. You know, if he does resign, he probably only wants to sign for a year because why would you want to sign long-term in Buffalo? It's just losing sucks. And, and a lot of guys don't want to commit to it when they've already been there that long. So it's it's a tough situation that Kevin Adams has, has got himself in as a, as a general manager. He didn't, hey, he didn't make Jack Eichel's injury. He wasn't the one who made all the other prior moves, but he's the one who now has to try to clean up the mess. And and uh, that's it's no there's no quick fix in Buffalo. It's going to be a long time, uh, I believe, before the Sabers become competitive again. Uh, what speaking of uh, turning things around, uh, the Vancouver Canucks and you know lots of arrows pointing Jim Benning out. Frank, um, what what do you see? What is Frank Saravalli's uh, three step plan to fixing the Vancouver Canucks? Well, I, I wish I had a three step plan, but I, I think it starts with what are you doing financially with your team like that's the first question i have with what's going on in vancouver everyone's saying you know there there's a belt tightening that's coming you see what's unraveled here with travis green and and no meaningful progress being made on an extension like not only is it rare to see a coach enter the final year of his deal but to get towards the end of it and i don't think is anyone out there thinking that travis green suddenly woke up this season and didn't know how to coach anymore like I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. Like I, I look at him on the hierarchy of coaches as one of the more respected out there and he's got nothing to show for it. You know, especially with what that team went through COVID wise, I get the frustration that he had himself also actually being really sick um, and having significant symptoms throughout the process as they dealt with that variant. That's concerning. And so I think it starts there. What, what's going on there money-wise? Are, are the owners, the Aquilinis, are they in a position where they're willing to spend to make that situation work? And then the next thing is, do they have the resources in place to not just retain Travis Green, but what are they going to do with Jim Benning? Like, I, like to me, I think a lot of the pressure and the squeeze that's going on media-wise and the stories that are being written are, are a little bit overblown. Like, 
this year, no matter what was always going to be a transition year. And I know that everyone's upset with Toffoli and the success that he's had in Montreal. And I know that everyone's upset with, you know, losing at the time, Jacob Markstrom. But like, if you go back and sort of unpack each one of these moves and as it related to the salary cap, does anyone really think that the Canucks didn't make the right choice going with Demko and then Holpe in a tandem this year versus signing Markstrom to that longer ticket? Personally, I think they're in a way better spot with Demko. So losing, you know, the defenseman that they did, uh, being in the spot they are cap-wise, it was going to be a transition year regardless. And I just think this team, with the right moves made this summer, can bounce right back into it, specifically with regards to the division that they're playing in next year. We talked about this. You know, they're going to be right there in the mix, you know, in that Pacific division to, with the right moves made this summer, to jump back in. And I, I think they will be with the, the foundational pieces that they have. Yeah. If Elias Pedersen can stay healthy, that'll be a big key, but yeah, Demko's unreal. Demko's a really good goaltender. Uh, you've got, uh, I like Quinn Hughes, you know, Qu Quinn Hughes needs a good defense partner. You know, he's unreal mm -hmm. offensively. He needs a guy like Tanev, um, you know, hard to find those type of guys, but you know, Edler's $6 million potentially comes off the book. So th they'll have some space, find too. someone to take, um, Louis Erickson. Like, I don't care what you need to pay. You can't buy him out. His contract is essentially buyout proof the way that it was written. Find, find someone to take on that cap hit, get yourself a little bit more space and, and get some help on defense, get Demko some support. The amount of shots that team allowed, it was oh. insane. Two years in a row though. Like. Markstrom, Markstrom covered up for a lot of their mistakes and even Demko does this year. But um, yeah, I'm kind of fascinated. You're right. The Pacific division after Vegas and Edmonton next year is going to be wide open, right? Like mm -hmm. the LA Kings could easily with all their young players make a push. And you know, like LA is a team that I'd watch for this off season too. I wouldn't be surprised if Rob Blake looks at that. Jack Eichel. Rank. Right. Well, yeah, maybe Jack Eichel. If he, uh, I'm telling you, I, I, I reported already. They had a cursory conversation. Oh, it might've been more than that. I think they were already talking about specific prospects in play. In fact, I, I think uh, two of the guys that were involved were uh, Arthur Kaliev and Samuel yes. Fagamo. And in addition to whatever other package they were putting together. But I, I think the only guy that's a non-starter there is Quinton Byfield, but with seven guys and Craig Button's top 75 affiliated prospects, like that team, they've got the goods. They've got oh, the they cap got space. They've players. got everything you need in order to pull off a trade like that. And then all of a sudden you can go Kopitar, Eichel down the middle. Pretty, oh, dude. pretty good. No, no, that's what I said. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if LA is a playoff team in the Pacific division next year at all. Um, and by the way, I thought Todd McClellan did a pretty good job there this year. Oh, you know what? I, LA was, they were competitive probably longer in the season than we expected. I think that's fair, mm -hmm. right? They, they lasted longer battling for that number four spot than most of us thought they would. And you know what? Yeah. I, I give McClellan credit. Like you, your coach is only as good to a point as your players, right? Like you, I don't care who the coach is. If, if you have a lot of B players, the coach isn't going to make them a players. If you've got some B plus, he might make them a minus players, but mm -hmm. a coach can't, you can only work with what you have, but LA, I think they understood it's a transition season for them. You know, they got some good young players there. Um, you know, they, they re-signed, I, I think they're, they're, they're most important young player move well, kind of a mid tier age range anyway. And they still got Dowdy. Uh, I like Cal Peter, uh, Peterson and goal uh, moving forward for them. Uh, you mentioned Quinton Byfield to, to have him in the minors. You know, that's a luxury at that age because of this year. And then he does get a little bit of time around Kopitar at the end. 
Big kids like that, Frank, I argue it all day long. Don't rush the big body guys. Like, look at Leon Drysettle, for instance. Now, and Byfield's bigger than him. But look at Leon Drysettle. He played at 19. He, he wasn't close to NHL ready at 19. Mm -hmm. Then he comes back at 20 after another summer of filling out and working out. And he had 51 points. And then, of course, he's exploded ever since then. Like, but how just, are you going to send Byfield back to junior now? No, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying that. No, but I'm saying that that's like a huge issue for me with the CHL transfer agreement. And I've talked and written about this. Technically, he's supposed to go back to junior. Yeah. He played an entire season of pro hockey now. Yeah. So it's either it, NHL or junior. That's not yeah. fair. I know it sucks, but I, I get why the deal's there in place to protect the junior. Well, it's teams. it's it's up this summer, so they have yeah. to redo it. And I, I'm telling you, I think that there is yeah. a lot of support from GMs to have either an exemption where you could pick one or two players or just totally change it in a way that, you know, you can allocate whatever you need to wherever you want, because yeah, I'll say this it's about though, Frank, the NHL team first. Yeah. The GMs like it. And then I'm going to give you the list of the guys who play at 20 in the American league and, and are highly touted prospects that suck. And then their confidence is ruined. So rushing 19 year olds to the AHL, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I, if you want to do one per team, maybe, but that's still mm -hmm. 26, you know, that's 32 teams that, that could do that potentially. Like it's still, there's still too many GMs in the NHL and it's proven that like rushing guys and it's fact, it's a fact. I can, every organization's done it and most of them continue to yeah. want to do it. I think it was Ron Hextall that said the list of players that have been hurt by spending more time in the AHL is a pretty small one. Oh, hundred percent. But rushing them there at 19 you know, it's still a man's league and you're going to, you're still going to get it's It's to me, it's more about confidence for especially young offensive players. And, and I think it's important to take what happened in the AHL this season with a grain of salt. And oh, I know yeah. that sounds funny to say, cause I wrote that story about the CHL transfer agreement and guys like Byfield and others Drysdale having success in the AHL as 18 year olds. Well, you got to remember that the vets and a lot of the older guys who would None. be in the AHL were in the taxi squads this year totally. and not playing. So 100%. it was a totally different league. Yeah, it was very, it was younger. And I know they all like it better, but that's not I reality. liked it better. I actually watched some AHL hockey for the first time in a while. And it, I think it's a way better league. Yeah. Well, yeah, we could have that debate. I understand the importance, but a lot of those kids weren't close to being call-ups. You know what? Like they're playing well in the AHL. If they would have got called at the NHL, they would have got crushed. So you, you, you might have better players. You still need those veteran guys in the AHL. I think they're very important. They're probably, they're probably underappreciated because they're rarely going to be impact guys in the NHL, but they can help your young guys mature and become impact players later on. And that's why they're important because, and a lot of those guys, man, every AHL team has three or four of them and they just know how to be pros, right? Like they've had a cup of coffee or two in the NHL over the years. And you see them, some of those guys who get 200 grand a year, 200. I was going to say grand. those guys, I don't know if that's going to happen anymore. When you talk about a belt tightening in the NHL in terms of finances, first thing to go are those three, four, $500,000 AHL guys. For sure. But the rich owners, the guys with money, that's how you benefit and you build a better team because yep. if you're competitive in the AHL, the teams, your young guys just have, you know, their confidence comes along. They play with, with pros who can show them the ropes to be a pro. And mm -hmm. then they kind of step over those guys and go to the NHL, right? The teams I, I think that spend on, on their AHL team, it, they develop the right way. 
hundred percent. And the teams that don't, you can tell right away. Yeah, you totally can. Uh, a guy who, you know what? Uh, hey, he developed at every level. Let's get to our uh, our big guest today. Brought to you by uh, Jock MKT. Stay in the game. Jock market is a hybrid between the fantasy sports and the stock market. And dudes. Gals, you want to be getting in right now in the playoffs. This is unreal. You make the right pick early in a game. You get the right guy who gets red hot. And all of a sudden, you know, what if you would have had Pajo, right? What if you had Pajo yesterday? He was killing it. So go to jockmkt.com. Now we're welcoming to the show. He's a two-time Stanley Cup winner. He's also won a Memorial Cup. He's won a gold medal at the World Juniors. Heck, he won an Ontario Bantam title. This guy wins everywhere. Dave Boland joins us. Dave, welcome to the show. How you doing? Hey, what's going on, guys? Glad to be uh, joining you guys. I know uh, it's tough times, but uh, I'm glad to be on talking hockey. Well, hey, we're happy to have you, man. So I was I was going through your bio. I was looking up where you, you won at virtually every level. Do you have like a – I know you played in the Pee Wee tournament. Did you win like in back when it was Might and, and Tom Thumb as well? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm just known as a winner. Um, <laughs> No, no, no. I just think uh, I've always been fortunate to be on some great teams. Uh, with in Bantam, like you said, uh, I was on a team with Brian Bickle. We once, then we uh, eventually won a Stanley Cup together. Uh, and then London Knights. I was on a great team with uh, tons of guys that went on to play uh, in the NHL. And then I was on an even better team with uh, the Hawks that went on to win three Stanley Cups, which I was a part of two of them. Well, yeah, let's, you know, I want to talk about the cups and, and get your thoughts on, the, of course, the playoffs going on right now. And it's been an overtime extravaganza early on as a guy who's won two Stanley Cups. Do you sit back and do you watch it? Like, do, do those memories flood back? Are you still like every time the playoffs come around, you're like, man, somebody's going to feel what I felt in 2010 and 2013. Oh, hundred percent. I I always get chills. Just you bringing it up or. Uh, there's always something on TSN about, uh, oh, uh, overtime, I'm sorry, uh, like quick goals or Stanley Cup winning goals or blah, blah, blah. And it always pops up in, on uh, either my Twitter or Instagram or on the TV. So uh, watching the watching playoff hockey right now, someone's going to get that feeling and uh, I wonder who it's going to be. Dave, uh, so as the playoffs start, I got to ask, who do you like, like to, to have that feeling? Uh, I did wish Chicago was still in the playoffs, but, uh, I think with everything going on here, it's going to be a grind. I'm, I'm, uh, I grew up in Toronto, so I'm hoping before I die that Toronto Maple Leafs win a Stanley cup. So, uh, I'm going to be pulling for Toronto a guy like, uh, Joe Thornton. That's not too far from London here. Uh, it'd be great to see him hoist the cup. Um, he's, a uh, he's been around for so long. I think he deserves a win one here, but, uh, it's going to be tough once you get over to, some of the other teams like Boston, uh, the Avalanche, and uh, and uh, and the Lightning—they just got Stamkos and uh, Kucherov back. I'm pretty sure. So it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a grind here, but uh, I'm pulling for Toronto. Before you guys won the Cup for the first time in 2010, you had you know not nearly the same thing that Toronto went through, but you had some growing pains, and and you you had to go through some tough losses first in order to get there. I know you guys had a young team, but is there something to be said for that road that you go through in order to finally get over the hump? And and what do you think those guys in Toronto are feeling as they get close to to starting this playoff run, knowing that the pressure is on them given um, you know some of the lack of success that they've had in these last few years. No, for sure. Uh, that first, so the first year I got there, uh, we were, it was bad. I think we had like five or 
not even 6,000 fans in the stadium and it's tough to get up for. Um, the year after, once I got called up and we were going, uh, I think we lost to uh, Detroit Red Wings in the conference finals. And that was, I think for us, was a learning curve. And we kind of knew that we had something going. Uh, we had a great group. We just had to fill in a few spots. Uh, and Dale Town and Stan Bowman, they did a great job doing that. But uh, that playing against Detroit, losing to Detroit was was a big learning curve for us because we saw what it took. And that team like Detroit, they had Zetterberg, Datsuk, uh, you go down the list uh, and on that 09 team. I, think, I, don't know, I don't think they won it last year. I think that Pittsburgh won it that year. But uh, but it was a good learning curve for us. We kind of found that we knew we had it. Uh, and then the year, next year we come in, uh, we had Hose, Kopecky. I think we had Huey, a few other spots that were filled. And uh, we knew that our time was valuable. Uh, and today with the cap going on, uh, you can't keep those those teams for a long time. Uh, so we knew uh, that this was going to be our year and this say, hey, we don't want a cup here. Something's going to happen. And the, you see, you see what happened with, uh, with Buff and Versteeg and Bar a few other guys that uh, were on that team that, that, that had to get traded uh, because of cap reasons. But uh, I think you look at Toronto, uh, you look at some of these teams coming in here and Toronto's Toronto's they're going to feel the pressure. Uh, they've got a team. They're right there. Uh, I think their defense and their goalie uh, situation is something that they need to work on. Uh, but I got a feeling they're right there. They're knocking at the door, and uh, hopefully this is their year. You go back to, to those years. You mentioned Marion Hosa and Kopecky, and, and it's funny how they kind of came as a tandem uh, together. And, and Hosa, of course, had been with Pittsburgh and then with Detroit to the Stanley Cup Finals. You'd played against them, Dave, but – so many players, until you play with a guy, you're just like, geez, what, what was it about Hosa that when he became a teammate that you maybe had a newfound respect about his game that you didn't before playing with him? Uh, I, I respected him playing against him, but once you've seen him on your team and seen what he does, uh, you take in these little effects. And uh, he, <clears throat> the, one thing that, the one thing that he was really good at, he was good at scoring, putting points up, putting big points up, but uh, – the one thing that I really admired of him is was his back checking. Uh, whenever there was something going on in, in our zone and we, he had to get back, he was probably one of the fastest guys to get back, get a long stick, and he'd flip his stick, uh, take the puck, and we'd be back on our way. Uh, but his work ethic was unbelievable. He was one of the best teammates to be around and a great leader uh, in our room, and he showed that with, uh, with the three cups. You know – you need a lot of good players in different positions you need a little bit of luck, but you also need health at, at the right time. You know, like two years ago, Tampa Bay lost their best defense when they got swept in the first round. Right. What, can you paint something as to why your team, you know, was able to remote for the most part, you know, your main guys stayed healthy. Like, I know one year you missed a few games in the playoffs, but still you came back for the cup final scored the game winning goal. What was it about the health of your team? Is that just luck? I think it is luck. Uh, I know in both of those Stanley Cup runs from myself, uh, that, that first year uh, in 2010, I I was the year before, for two years, I was lagging a, a back, back injury. Uh, and right at the start of the season of uh, the 09010, uh, I just said, hey, I need to get this surgery done. Uh, either I get it done now and I get back in time um, to, to be ready for the Stanley Cup for the playoffs uh, or, or I wait. And uh, we made the decision to get it done right away. I missed about three months, came back. I think February, the Olympic break was done uh, and I was well rested. My back was great. 
uh, had everything going. And, and once I got into that playoffs, uh, that was my time to shine. Uh, I was well rested from being out for a while, but, uh, but like you said, I think it does come down to luck as well with, with, with health because anything could happen during the year. Uh, you can, you can go through a, a slump with guys get injured in a row or you guys have guys stay healthy. Uh, and we stayed pretty healthy that year. I think I was probably the only one that had uh, much of a major surgery that I was out for most of the season in that 2010 year. Dave, what are you up to now? Well, right now I just had a little baby boy. Uh, oh, so, uh, he was just born. So his name's Benjamin Ray Boland. Uh, so I'm just hanging out, staying busy, waking up at three to feed, maybe waking up at six, uh, getting some feeding in. Uh, it was a little nicer when I was playing cause then I'd have to get my sleep and I'd be well rested, but, uh, but yeah, I'm busy with uh, my little one right now. That's awesome. Congrats. Now I, I got to ask, so you had two Stanley cup experiences and I, I actually felt, and, and, and in fact, talking to the guys on the lightning before they started this playoff run, they were saying, we want to go repeat again because we want an actual day with the Stanley cup. We couldn't have the full experience with our family and friends around because of COVID. If you got a third day with the Stanley cup, what would you do? Uh, so my first two, I had some big parties. Uh, if I had my third, I'd take it to a secluded island. Uh, I'd take it to just a nice island that I could invite my closest friends and family and just party with the cup for 24 hours. Uh, that would be, that would be my, if I had my third one, uh, that's what I would have done. Dave, the, you know, the experience of that cup and you talked about losing to Detroit. So let's go through 2010 though. You know, you guys had a pretty young group of guys, right? You were, if yeah. not even five years in the league and Kane and Taves and Keith and Seabrook, like you didn't, your main core guys were, were fairly young players at that time. Were you able to like, cause I know like in 2006, Edmonton, when they went through the run, like they'd still have, you know, you, you clinch a series, you go out and you have some beers and you relax and away you go, as long as it wasn't game seven. Were, were yeah. you guys able to do that in 2010 in between the series? Oh, yeah, yeah. So every series, uh, most of the series we won, I think I think our toughest one was against Nashville that we went the long uh, – we probably went game six or seven, I think. I, I'm trying to remember. But uh, after every series, uh, we'd be back in Chicago and we'd have the team, we'd go out and, and let loose. Uh, we'd get pretty banged up and – you go through four, five, six games, and by the end of those six games, your body is you're you're in pain, and all you want to do is let loose, get things out, and uh, and and uh, and have a little bit of fun with the guys. But uh, I remember after we beat San Jose, I think we beat them in four. Uh, we came back and we had a big party uh, just down the street from my house in Chicago. It was called the Pony at the time, and this place was packed. We had. Fans were coming out everywhere. Like you couldn't get it. It was so rammed, but uh, it was just a hell of a time. Uh, and the team we had in that 2010 year, um, everybody had fun. Whenever we go out, we'd have beers as a team. Uh, we didn't really have clicks of guys going to do one thing or guys going to other places. And we'd be like, Hey, we're meeting at this bar at 10 PM and everybody would be there and you'd be crushing a few butt heavies and having a good time. Did you guys bring the Stanley Cup to that same bar after you won? Yeah, we did. We, uh, right after we won uh, the first cup, uh, we took it to the Pony. And uh, I remember- Like just off the plane and you meet at the Pony, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I remember we got off the plane. It was, I think it was like, I think we got back at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And we, we had, oh, I had a buddy that owned the, owned the Pony at the time. And he was like, hey, we, 
threw him a text. We're like, hey, man, uh, we're coming back. We need to place a party. Uh, opened the pony, and he opened it up. He threw some threw things, a few things on the window to pretend. I'm pretty sure the cops wouldn't have uh, mattered or uh, the city wouldn't have mind that we were having a party at the time. But, uh, but yeah, we went back there, and we had a party until about 8 a.m. in the morning and uh, kept on going during the day. You have those type of parties, Dave. And, you know, it's funny. Everybody has like, that's, it's funny. Like the winning such a great thing. And then, you know, you win on the road, you know, then that there's that flight home and that's maybe the one time where everybody's together. And then after that, even though you're all together, but there's lots of other people, which as there should be, but were you able, when you won your second one, did you, did you, did you absorb it more? Because in the first you're in the moment and you're living in the moment, which you should. And people are, Oh, I wish I would, but I don't even know if you could, could you like when you, when you in your first Stanley cup, I don't know if you can sit back and be like, Oh, I'm just going to take it all in. Like I, I would assume you're just, you're overcome with the motion and joy. You don't really care about anything else. Oh, hundred percent. The first one was just like, Holy shit. We, we won the Stanley cup. Like this is crazy. And even on the second one, I was still, I, I still had it kicked in because we, we were sitting on the bench. I know a lot of guys were like, okay, whatever. Uh, we'll go back home. We'll win the Stanley Cup back home. We won it in Philadelphia the year, a few years before that. Uh, we'll win it in Chicago. It would be great to do it there. Uh, and then Bick scores, the I score, and it was like, oh, shit, we, we're going to win the Stanley Cup here. This is, <laughs> this is crazy. Like, how quick was this? Uh, so it, the second one, I did absorb it a little bit more. I did take it in, and, and you kind of – feel things and uh like different things like like holding it a little longer taking a big loop around i know like the first time i think i held it i didn't want to hold it too long i wanted to make sure that everybody on the team got to hold it and do a little skate uh so there's little 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 quirks and little things you you think of uh the second time around how different was it the second time around with a slightly different group of guys you mentioned the guys that were traded then to see it through their eyes that hadn't won before yeah, it was good. Uh, we, we, we went through that first battle and then we had guys like, uh, Stahlberg, Kruger, Shaw, uh, Crawford, uh, Ray Emery, uh, some guys that, that hadn't experienced it and to see them and how their faces and the joy and people crying and, and it's, it's a, it's a long battle and it's a long road. And, uh, when you see grown men cry, uh, winning the Stanley cup, you know, that's like, that's the one thing in life that these guys and all of us have worked for uh, and the joy. Uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable. So 2015 comes around and you're in <laughs> Florida. Obviously everyone's happy for you. You sign a big ticket. Um, what was it like watching though your former teammates win again for the third time? It was great. Uh, I wish I was there, but Hey, the way the, uh, the way the business is and what goes on, uh, you, like, I, I was happy for those guys and that they did it back home in Chicago. So the Chicago fans can enjoy it. It was great to see that as well. Uh, I like it's, I was a part of two of them and so grateful to be a part of two Stanley cups. I know some guys go 20 years in the NHL and maybe get a sniff and don't even get a sniff of, uh, of a Stanley cup. And in my nine or 10 years that I played, I, I had two Stanley cups uh, and enjoyed it. So to see the guys win a third one for Chicago and, to do it in Chicago, uh, I was happy for those guys. I congratulated all of them, and it, it was great. 
When you look, Dave, at 2013, like there's, you know, you won a Stanley Cup, but you scored the game-winning goal in the game-clinching game, man. Like that's, like that's road hockey stuff. How, take me back through that goal and like the moment when you're like, damn, I just, you know, we're going to win the Stanley Cup here. Yeah, we, uh, I think it was big scored. Uh, and then he was like, okay, bowls fro. I know they put out uh, Crutchy and uh, their top line. He's like, okay, just, like, let's just keep the lead. Let's just keep the, the tie. Um, excuse me. Uh, let's just keep the tie here and uh, we can go over to overtime and let's just make sure they don't score. Uh, so we get the puck, get it in, goes deep. Uh, I throw it high. Uh, I think it was Johnny O'Dew. They shot the puck. I went instead of most guys would probably stay behind the net waiting for that puck to come wrapping around. Uh, I kind of said, I better get in front. Got in front, just got in front of Boychuk and uh, it was – I couldn't believe how perfect it hit off the post and dropped right in front of me. Uh, a puck never does that. And all I had to do was tap it in. Uh, so tap it in, gloves go flying, going crazy. Uh, I went to the bench and Q's like, no, no, stay out there. Stay out there. I was like, no, 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 I'm getting off. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going back out there. I'm like, I'm getting off the ice. I'm like, I'm not like, if something happens here and it's three, three, I'm like, I, I think that's not my fault. <laughs> so <laughs> Q's like, no, get out there. So I get back on, uh, win the drawback. We kind of fumble around, get it in deep, and our line got right off. And I think Taser and a few guys went on, and uh, we went on to win the Stanley Cup. You know, the, the players, they're such a unified group, and, you know, I'm sure you have great stories about all of them. Why was Coach Q the right guy for your group? Uh, Q was great at managing us. Uh, he was great with the stars. He was great with not the stars. Uh, he was just an all-around players coach. Uh, he knew <clears throat> he knew when we needed days off. Uh, he knew when we needed to go out and party and kind of let loose and get get uh, get some stress out. Uh, it's a long season. Uh, it's a long season for us, and he was always great with us. But even on the ice, uh, he was he was hard. Um, I know he was hard on a lot of guys. He was hard on me, and I think that's what brought the best out of all of us. Uh, he, he knew what would get us get us going. And uh, he would joke around with us. He was, I think all around, he was just one of the best coaches I've had. And uh, it's great to see what he's doing with Florida now. Uh, I think they're going to have another chance here. and They've got some great players. And Dave, you, you know, the Florida market a bit, what it, you know, as they get back into the playoffs now battle of Florida for the first time ever, what's it like playing there? Well, I didn't mind it. It was fun. Uh, <laughs> you practice, maybe go, uh, go hit a few golf balls and, uh, lay by the beach or hang out. But uh, I, I liked it. It was fun playing there. Uh, we had a great group of guys. We had a good team. Uh, my injuries kind of caught up to me and uh, it didn't last. But uh, I think I think for them, I think where they're hot, where their rink is, their rink, it, it's just too far to get to. Uh, yeah. They need to, they either, they either need to throw it down in Fort Lauderdale or in Miami. Uh, we're all, there's tons of Canadians that are down there during the wintertime. Uh, and they would love to see hockey, but the hike out to sunrise is 50, almost to an hour long. It's too far. You can't drink. You can't have fun. Uh, so, and to see what they're doing right now with the battle of Florida, this is going to be good. Hopefully they can kind of keep that around and, and, and have a, a little bit of a, uh, a little Vancouver, Chicago kind of series that we had uh, and get that uh, rivalry going. If you could pick a team to come back and play, you know, I'm sure you enjoyed your experience being a Leaf, um, being a Toronto kid, but, you know, where would you want to play if you could do it all over again? 
Uh, well, I, I did get the experience of, of coming home and playing for the Leafs. Uh, I, I would have loved to stay there a little longer, but how contracts and everything goes on. Uh, I don't know. I think maybe L.A. L.A. sounds like a pretty cool place, pretty fun place to be uh, during the year. Uh, speaking of that, you know, you went, you win the, the Stanley cup in 2013, you score the winner, you guys are partying and then you're traded at the draft. Not long after were were you expecting that Dave? And, and like, was there a conversation? Cause of course, you know, you're an Ontario kid. You grew up a huge Leafs fan. Was there any discussion that they were kind of, you know, doing you a solid to move you there or were you caught off guard? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I knew something was going on. I knew I was going to get traded. I knew, uh, cap issues were coming around and, uh, I was getting to, towards the end of my contract and there was going to, there was going to be talks of, uh, I probably wanted more like anybody, other, any other hockey players. So, um, I knew I was getting traded, but I didn't know I was going to go to Toronto, but uh, I think it was me and Carcillo. We were just sitting on my couch watching the draft. And I, I kind of, I was like, Hey, like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get traded here. We'll see what happens. Uh, and Stan calls and he's like, Hey, how's it going bulls? Blah, blah, blah. We're, kind of shooting back and forth. Uh, he goes, well, this isn't the call that I want to do, but uh, we traded you. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I kind of knew it was coming. Uh, blah, blah, blah. He's like, but um, I know you're from Toronto and I know you know you were a big Leaf fan and uh, I, I sent you back to Toronto. And that was that was much of a solid. Uh, and Stan Bowman's a great guy. He's a great stand-up uh, GM and he was always great with us in, in Chicago there. So that was – I was – I was really happy that happened and I got to go back home and play for uh, my home team, my hometown. And uh, one last one for me, Dave. So you get into your hometown, you obviously would have liked it to stay there longer. Did you feel hometown pressure at all? Or because you had won two Stanley cups that, you know, you probably couldn't feel more pressure from being a hometown kid, or was it still nerve wracking for you to put on that Jersey and, and feel like you had to live up to something? No, not really. I already had my two Stanley Cups, so that was nothing. Uh, the first game coming out in the ACC was really cool, and the fans going crazy. Uh, I loved my time in in sorry in Toronto. Uh, I, I was having, I have to say, I was having probably my best year uh, before I uh, I cut my perennial attendant. Uh, we were having a good season. I think we were number one right off the bat there in the first ten or twelve games that I was playing. Uh, we we had a great team. We had the click. We had everything going. Uh, I think my injury kind of killed it and kind of we started getting a little bit of injuries uh, along the way. But uh, but yeah, like I didn't have pressure. Um, I felt at home. Uh, Randy was our coach. Uh, I liked Randy. He was hard on me, but uh, that's what I kind of like. I like that hard nose kind of coach that would get in your face and that kind of you kind of be back F you like I'll show you. I'll go back on the ice and do something here. So I, I, I like that. Um, but uh, I, I didn't have much pressure. No, no. I, I, I love my time in Toronto. I wish I could have stayed longer, but uh, yeah. All right, let's play a little rapid fire. All right, Dave. All right, so go. here we go. I have a little fun. The only rules are you have to answer the questions. Okay. We'll, we'll, start, we'll, start, with an easy, we'll start with an easy one. Uh, Dave Boland's cocktail of choice after, a, well, after a, a, it's not much bigger celebration other than the birth of your son or a Stanley cup. So what's your cocktail of choice? Well, uh, a Manhattan. Oh, classy. I like it. <laughs> now, what got you on to Manhattans? It was actually, uh, I, I hang out with a few older guys here in, uh, in London, uh, a few guys that are around their fifties and 55s and sixties. So, uh, you kind of get kind of hearing, uh, for me being a younger guy, it was always vodka soda, vodka, 
vodka, vodka, vodka. And uh, they started drinking these Crown Manhattans and three Manhattans, you're pretty well on your way. You're feeling pretty good. <laughs> the fourth okay, one's a little too much. <laughs> of, uh, of all of your Chicago teammates, who is the best at cutting a rug? Best dancer. Cutting a rug. Uh, I bet Sharpie would be smooth, no? Yeah, Sharpie was pretty smooth. I'd say Kaner. Kaner likes dancing. He always had little dance moves and everything going on. I'd say Kaner. Okay. Who, who was the surprise kind of energizer bunny during your Stanley Cup celebrations that could just party for days that people maybe never hear about? Well, probably myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd have to say Ben Eager. Ben Eager. You mentioned Carlisle and coaches that really, you know, you liked hard-nosed coaches. What about a coach that you played against that maybe mouthed off? Was there any coaches you didn't like? No, I never. Oh, well, I have to say uh, Vancouver. Uh, uh, Alan Vigneault. I didn't like him. I think after I chirped the Sedin twins, uh, I, I forget what his comment was, that I had the, the brain the size of a, uh, <laughs> of a bird or, some, or a seed. And I was ready to come back with another comment. And then Quinville's like, he's like, don't even think about it. He's like, shut that down. He's like, no more. I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, was it just because it was the playoffs or what really ignited? Because it was legit animosity. And I loved it from an outsider's perspective, Vancouver. What started like where you guys literally hated each other? Uh, it was that first, it was an 0809 uh, or 09010. Uh, and we, we played against each other. I think we, played, we, were, we were in the same division. So we were playing each other about six, seven times there. And just one after the other, it was just uh, like, I think I kind of started it with the Sedins. Uh, every time I'd be out there, I'd just be pissing them off. And uh, they were my go-to that, hey, like, as long as I shut those two guys down, our team's got an advantage to, to winning. Uh, and then you go back, uh, most of the guys, like Burroughs, uh, a few other guys, they'd take stupid penalties on me, and then we would capitalize on uh, – on the power play, but, uh, that was like that. I, I don't think you'll see a rivalry like that again. Like we, we hate each other. And I actually became good friends with Shane O'Brien. Uh, and we used to sit in Florida and he'd be like, we hated you guys. And like, we hated you guys. And it was good talk. It was fun talking about it. Cause it was just a hated battle that went on. I bet you and Obes had no fun there in Florida. Oh, no, 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 oh, oh yeah, and Uppy. <laughs> yeah, oh, what a crew. Oh, yeah. You you mentioned um, that, that rivalry, and you mentioned, you know, getting after Sedin. Were you a real chirper on the ice or just an agitator, Dave, in, in your uh, eyes? And if so, who uh, was the best guy to chirp that you like that could give it back and forth? Uh, I wasn't really much of a chirper. I was more of the agitator. Uh, Eager was a chirper. Um Eags, Burrish, uh, they'd be yapping the whole time. I just can't keep up with the, the chirping, but uh, I'd stick a guy in between the legs. Uh, I, I, like, I'd stick to Sedin's, and eventually you're going to lose it on someone, and eventually they did. They lost it on me a few times, but uh, but I think I had that, that Vancouver team just wrapped up, and they wanted to kill me every night. If you could go back in time, what, what, would, you do, what would you sacrifice – to have a healthy back? Oh, 
what would I sacrifice? Yeah, like what would you what would you trade? So like a something. What do you, you want know, him to would... say? Is right nut? Like, like yeah. what? Well, yeah, that's, that's a tough question, those, dude. Think I about it. Those two away. <laughs> that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, made a pile of money. What more do you want? I know. What else do I need? Uh, what else? What, what do I have to give away? I don't His know. Twitter bio says philanthropist for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you know, I just thought there'd be something because, like, that's a tough one. That, that's a tough one. But I, I would, I, I would, I, I would probably give up my right nut to, uh, to, to have a good back. Uh, that, that was the one. That, that, that was the one injury that hindered me uh, most of my career uh, from 08, 09. Uh, I had my first back surgery. Uh, and then on like, and then once my ankle went, uh, that was all connected on that left side. So yeah. my ankle, once I had that done, um, that next, those next few years in Florida were, were tough for me. Uh, those like, I, I, I had the mindset. I just, my ankle and my back just didn't keep up with my mind and everything going on. And it was, it was tough. Easy now, to say now after the birth of your son, come on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so last one. Because of your back, and you have to pick, you have to be a yoga instructor or a Pilates instructor. Which one and why? I'd say yoga. Uh, Lululemon pants. <laughs> well said. <laughs> I learned awesome. that one from Uppy. I learned that one from Uppy. There you go. Awesome. Dave, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the playoffs. It's, it's been a crazy start with all the overtime games early on. And, uh, you know, we're just getting started. It'll be fun to see uh, your hometown Leafs. Uh, we might see a Matthews McDavid uh, North final, which I think a lot of people in the hockey world would like to see. I think that'd be great. Uh, it, like It's like seeing the Leafs and, and Habs right now. Like when was the last time anybody saw that? I don't think anybody was alive, but, uh, but it, like, the North division off the start, I was watching that every night and then it kind of fell down. It died. Uh, now I want to see them play. For Tampa. real. I want to, yeah, correct. Correct. I want to see them play Tampa, Boston, Avalanche. I want to see what they have now crossing over and uh, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. That's awesome. Hey, Dave, thanks so much for joining us. This was great. Thanks for having me guys. You guys ever need me? Give me a call. I'm up for it. This is fun. Dave Boland, man. What a beauty and what a career did that guy have? Winning it, going to like Bantam Junior, uh, Memorial Cup, World Junior, Stanley Cup. Like there's, when you've won at all those different levels, Frank, there's something to be said. It's, you know, maybe a little bit of luck, but uh, you're, you're obviously a glue guy and a pretty important player. Serial winner. What's like, what's better than that? Like of all the compliments you get as a hockey player, just yeah. winner. You could just flop that right on the table. Oh I'm yeah. Winner. That's and you know what? He scored some, he scored some big goals, right? Like you look yeah. in 2010, he had eight goals and eight assists, mm -hmm. 16 points in the playoffs. And then he got banged up a little bit in 13 comes back game five scores and then scores the cup winning goal. And I, I love this story. He was like, I want to get off the ice. <laughs> Dude. I can't tell you how much I resent those Chicago Blackhawks teams. Cause I was covering those games and it's uh, all right. So like life of a newspaper writer, I don't know how many people know this. You're typing the entire game and you actually have to hit send on your story literally as the buzzer sounds. And that's what's going in the paper the next day, at least for the first edition before you can talk to anyone. So 2010 game six in Philly sitting on press row, Patrick Kane scores that goal. And I'm like, did it go in? Like, did it not? Like I, I'm literally working on two stories at one time because 
It's either the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup and the Flyers season is over, or we're going to game seven. And it's not like you can kind of like fudge your way through either story. So I'm like, like what's happening? Like Kane celebrating is the puck in video review. It's taking forever. Hate the Blackhawks for that. Then 2013, the Bruins are up with a minute and a half left. We're going to game seven in Chicago. And all of a sudden Bickle and Bolin, I'm like these pricks. Like I, like, I can't catch a break as I'm typing these stories. Like either way, like again, same exact thing game six or, and the season's over or game seven can't catch a break. And the other thing I wanted to mention, and, and I say that tongue in cheek, like congratulations um, to Dave Bowen and the Hawks. But the other thing he mentioned about chirping and he said, Adam Bursch. And I thought of one of the great all time chirps that I heard Adam Bursch for whatever reason was all over Chris Pronger the entire series. You know, I, I don't know if you remember that 2010 cup final, but that oh, was yes. the one where Pronger was in a dress on the Chicago Tribune or sometimes page. They called him Chrissy Pronger and he was wearing fig a figure skating yeah. outfit. And there's all sorts of back and forth. And Adam Burrish is celebrating on the ice. And he said something to a TV camera. It was like, can't wait to get Chris Pronger next year. And then someone asked Pronger like a couple of days later at locker clean out. It was like, yeah, Adam Barris says he wants to get you next season. And Pronger does deadpans. He goes, Oh yeah. Where's that? The minors. And it was just like, it was so good. He was just waiting to say it. So that's classic Prongs. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, there's some of those guys, uh, nothing like a good chirp uh, at all. Nothing like a good trim either, Frank. And uh, that wraps up another episode of the DFL Rundown. Uh, remember, Manscaped, the lawnmower 4.0. As Frank likes to point out, it's not just a gift for you. It's also a gift for your wife or your girlfriend. Trim it up. Keep it nice and tight down low with the twig and berries. Okay. Manscaped.com. Go there. You get 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code DFO21. Check it out. Uh, Frank, we got lots of playoff games to discuss this week. It's been a crazy weekend of overtime. Man, are we going to have any regulation games this week? We'll see, but it'll be a lot of fun as uh, the, the North finally opens up Wednesday and Thursday. Of course, you've got. Uh, uh, other uh, series going, Colorado's going to jump into the fray. So it, uh, it's going to be loads of fun to look forward to. It. We'll talk to you Friday. Overtime hockey, shoot it into my veins. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, 
You're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.